Pound the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. That's right. We brought you the best sports media app, and now we're bringing you the best sports book. The Score Bet offers a safe and secure mobile sports book experience with both pregame and in-play markets. But best of all, it's integrated into the Score and our content to give you the easiest and most seamless sports betting experience. So take advantage of exciting promotions and odds boosts all season long. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am joined for the second Friday in a row by a disgruntled, because of all-star selections, Joe Wolfon. What up, Cash? Joe, I gotta tell you, one of our loyal listeners, also a friend of mine, I've shouted him out before, Randall Furman, uh, maybe 30 seconds after the all-star reserves were announced, I get a ping on my phone that uh, Randall has mentioned me in an Instagram comment and I go to check what it is and it's the score had put up the East All-Star Reserves and the first comment I saw on that post like immediately after it went up was Randall adding me asking me if if Joe Wolfon's heard the news yet that James Harden is still an NBA All-Star. Oh I mean there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to happen like there was no surprise there with the Wiggins thing it was I mean, I, obviously with the fan vote, I knew it was a possibility, but I was still surprised that Wiggins got in. Whereas like there, I, there wasn't much suspense with the Harden thing. I, I didn't ever doubt that he was actually going to get that spot. I just don't agree with it. Like, I don't think he should have that spot, but I was much more surprised, for instance, that Chris Middleton yes. was selected by the coaches as a reserve. Not that Chris Middleton is not a good player, but I, I don't think he's really having an all-star caliber season when you stack him up against the the rest of the candidates in the Eastern Conference. Like there are a solid five or six guys that I would have had ahead of him for that spot. So that was the one that really surprised me. But the Harden thing, it's like I, I expected it. Uh I haven't really changed my mind about whether I feel he's deserving or not. So it is what it is. All due respect to Chris Middleton, again, anyone who's listened to Pound the Rock knows we both you know, are big fans of his game. You know, there were some questions of his playoff uh, performances for a couple of years, but he more than silenced those. He was incredible last year. We've always been fans of his his game. Um, I think we were two of the people that were like on his all-star candidacy in other years, kind of before others were. But I'm sorry, top six front court player in the East. I would have struggled to have Chris Middleton on the list if, 10 front court players in the East could get in this year. And again, that's not a knock on him. It's not because he's washed or whatever. It's just he has not been as good as these other guys this year. And and honestly, yeah, I was shocked when his name was announced. Like I, I just could not believe it, but it is what it is. And it's left us with, I'd say, a more precarious argument, trying to figure out who should be the KD injury replacement now. Because I thought it would be a little simpler if the guys that deserve to be there got there. Uh, I think we both had DeMontis Sabonis as one of the front court players. So I think, you know, if everything had gone chalk, it'd be easier to then come up with a replacement. We're going to start this show by making our 
injury replacement picks for Kevin Durant in the East, for Draymond Green in the West. The way it works is that they don't have to be picked by position. The commissioner will just pick a player for each. In, in the case of Kevin Durant, for example, because he was a starter, what will happen is his place in the East or whatever team that is starting lineup will be replaced by the East front court all-star who would have been next in line by the starting voting um, calculation. So that's how the starting spot will be replaced. But in terms yeah, of the presumably actual, it'll be Jimmy, right? Like that's right. got to be, yeah. I would assume uh, that's the guy. Yeah. I, yeah. We'd have to go back and look at how the, the rank ended up. But, um, but yeah, in terms of the actual all-star spot, straight up commissioner, just pick someone from each conference. doesn't have to be positional. So uh, we're talking about the East off the bat. So we'll fall on, let's just start there. I mean, is it just a very simple conversation. We both had Sabonis in our all-star teams. He didn't actually make it. And therefore he is the easy replacement pick or, you know, no, like the I, last week and a half. No, it's not about it. It's not about it changing. I like, I had Sabonis in there because I had to pick a front court player to fill out my roster, but I would have had drew holiday. Like if we were just ranking players based on how good I think they've been this season, I would have had holiday ahead of them. So if there's, you know, if positions aren't a factor, then I'd go drew. And maybe that would rankle some people because you're going to give three bucks all-star spots when this team's kind of been a little disappointing on the whole, but I just don't really think about it in those terms. Like, yeah, I don't think Middleton is deserving, but that's not a reason to lock holiday out who I think very much has been deserving. And I'm sure you'll remember on the episode in which we made our picks, the guy that we were quibbling about was, you know, Harden versus holiday basically that's what it came down to at the end i wound up having to choose between holiday and garland and garland got a very deserving spot happy to see that he was rewarded and i wound up having to leave holiday off of our team because you mistakenly put james harden on the east uh backcourt squad but i think yeah maybe i don't feel great about having three bucks there considering they haven't been all that impressive of late but they've been incredible all year when holiday's been on the floor they've been great even when he's been on the floor without Giannis or Middleton, uh, I think at both ends of the floor, he's been pretty dynamite. He's shot the ball quite well. Um, he has become a very solid isolation scorer. And I think they rely on him a lot to sort of get their offense out of mud or just get them through mud. Like when it, when it bogs down, like he can go and get them a bucket. And then obviously the defense speaks for itself, right? Like you're, there are not many individual defenders that you would rather have guarding on the perimeter, whether it's a guard or a wing or even a forward that he's going up against, they can stick him on anybody and trust that he can pretty, pretty well handle himself in single coverage. So yeah, I would stick with him as my guy. Like again, no, no discredit to Sabonis who I think has been great, but I was really putting him on there because uh, I needed to fill out the front court spots. And now that that's no longer an issue, uh, I wouldn't make him my pick. Honestly, man, I, I, I'd probably still go with Sabonis. Like, averaging 19 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal on 61% effective. Like, it's the same conversation we had a week and a half ago. I know the Pacers stink. I know that traditionally all-star spots are rewarded, you know, at least partially based on team success. That's why a guy like Chris Middleton even got in the conversation this year. But I just think if you're going by, like, you know, who have been the top 12 players in the Eastern Conference, and yeah, sure, positioning comes into question, but, like, I just don't, I don't know any world where strictly based on what has happened the first 45 to 50 games of this season, DeMontis Sabonis is not a top 12 player in the Eastern Conference. And I don't think that the fact 
you know, his team is a dumpster fire around him and there's been injuries all over the place and it's dysfunctional should be held against him. Now, in terms of what will actually happen, I think it'll be interesting. I, I have a feeling LaMelo is going to get it. And to be honest, like, I, I, I don't think that would be an absolute, like, catastrophe. I, I think LaMelo has been great. I think him and Miles Bridges, you know, if you had to pick a Hornet to be an all-star, which I don't think you should have to do, but if you had to, it'd be between LaMelo and Miles. And I think LaMelo has been a little more important for them, but there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. Like if you want to just say, well, team success should play a part, then obviously that eliminates Sabonis. And if you want to go by the traditional, like team success should play a part, but you're probably not giving the Bucks three players this year. Then it's like, well, now Sabonis has been eliminated for the team success thing. And Drew's been eliminated because Chris Middleton unfairly got a spot. So if you, if you like keep going down that criteria for how they usually pick things, not necessarily how I would do it to me, that leaves LaMelo Siakam, and Jared Allen and Jared Allen, I would eliminate because, you know, as great as he's been and, and as improved as he's even been as an individual scorer too, the guy's usage rate is under 18%. I don't want to make it all about like, you know, can you get me a bucket? But at the same time, it's like, okay, like for me to reward a guy with a, a usage rate that low with an all-star spot, it's like you're going to be having like a really, really special season or you're going to impact the game in a really special. And I'm not saying Jared Allen doesn't impact the game. Don't get me wrong, but like, for me to reward an all-star spot to a guy that's kind of like that uninvolved, in a, if, if you want to say that on the offensive end, it's going to be like a Rudy Gobert. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this guy's impact is just off the charts. And, and Jared Allen's a very impactful player. I wouldn't put him at that level where I'm, give, I'm putting him, you know, where I'm giving him an all-star spot over some guys putting up prolific numbers. I would say he is a less dependent scorer than Rudy Gobert is. Strides that he has made as a post scorer this year, he's been literally the most efficient post scorer in the NBA for players who I think have finished like 75 possessions out of the post. His individual offense is greatly improved. Yeah. So I I don't fully buy that. I think obviously like the defensive impact isn't quite what somebody like Gobert's is, but I mean, he he's been super important to making that offense function and it is a two way street, right? I think Ben Taylor was mentioning this on his podcast, how you obviously would notice like the dip in Allen's production if he wasn't playing next to Garland. But you also really notice a dip in Garland's production, like his Garland's assist rate tanks when he plays without Allen, like they they both need each other. Uh, So I I get what you're saying. And again, like I I'm not making him my replacement pick here. So for, for like some of the same reasons that you mentioned, but I just want to say like, he, he's been really, really good at both ends of the floor. And I think for those kind of like excluding him on principle, because he's just like this screen and dive guy who relies on other people to be effective offensively. I don't know that that's actually entirely true. And I do think his defensive impact has been immense. Like his on offs are crazy this season. I think he has a really strong case. So Again, he wouldn't be my pick, but he's right up there uh, on the fringes of this discussion. And I, th- I think he he belongs, you know, whether he makes it or not, like he he belongs in this conversation. I think he belongs at least in the conversation, but I just don't think he's quite, I don't think he's quite the, the overall player that a guy like uh, Siakam, even a Sabonis is. I didn't have Drew in the conversation, you know that, but even what Drew is right now, like, I don't know, maybe Allen's getting close, but I'm not quite sure he's fully there yet. But, but I so, would say so, like like Sabonis, Siakam, Allen, even Jalen Brown. Like I would have had all of those guys ahead of Middleton. Same, same. But but um, so so if if you kind of keep going down that criteria, I think that ends up leaving like like I was saying, Siakam, Allen, Ball, and 
and then it's like, okay, now I'm like down to Siakam and Ball again, just trying to think through the way the NBA picks it, not necessarily I pick it. And I think Lamelo is going to get it because they'll get a Hornet in there. You pro- they probably don't give two Raptors, even though they're, yeah. they're playing really well right now. But it, it's I don't want to say it's unfortunate because it's not like Lamelo is some undeserving player. But I just I just wish that it went you know strictly by merit, however they determine that to be, as opposed to kind of using all these qualifiers, right? Where it's like, okay, well now this team's already got one, so we can't really give them a second one. It's like, well, if if the guy deserves it or you know, again, in the case of Sabonis, it's like, well, we need to pick a replacement and pretty obviously this guy who deserves it, but look where his team is in the standings. So now let's pick, you know, a player who's like five slots below him if we were to do some sort of overall rankings because his team's doing bad. I just don't like that. And the other thing too, I'll say for Siakam, who if you remember, I actually had over Tatum as my last front court spot in the reserve, in our reserve picks, is that because he's played so many minutes in the games he's played, even though he missed that first month of the season, He's only played 40 and 60 less total minutes than Allen and LaMelo. Mm-hmm. So like the, you know, he missed too much time argument doesn't even work against Pascal anymore. And his team actually just passed the Hornets in the standings last night. So yeah. he's definitely making up for lost time now. Right. Playing like right. 42 plus minutes a night. Uh, right. And, I think. And playing it, them pretty damn effectively at both ends of the floor. Yeah. So I think if you ask me who deserves it based on the season as a whole, which is what I should go by, I'd still say Sabonis. Um, if you want to take team success into account and the season as a whole, I'd lean Siakam. Who do I think is going to get it? I think it's going to be LaMelo and it's not going to be some great, uh, injustice. You yeah. want to talk? Right, so who, who would you pick as the Harden replacement then? <laughs> Man. Cause if we're so, talking executive decisions, you know, Adam Silver stepping in to yeah. name a replacement, I think a, an executive decision has to be made. After James Harden scored four points on 17 used possessions against the Sacramento Kings, two for 11 from the field with six turnovers, was a minus 21 in a loss to a team that came in having lost seven straight and 12 of 14, having been 50-pieced by the Celtics and lost by 20-plus to the Knicks. This is the team that beat the Nets in a game in which James Harden was embarrassing. So. This is, Adam this Silver is my... steps in. It's like an injury replacement. Harden's out. Who's replacing him? I will say this. You make good points, but I will continue to say that James Harden, in a down year, which I have never argued, uh, in the most efficient, inefficient season he's had since his rookie season, is still an, an all-star. He's still a top 12 player in the East and a top 24 player in the league. His floor is better than 98.9% of the league. And... Now, I, I think a year from now, this might be a real argument because if, if this actually is the beginning of like his downfall and not just a blip on the radar, then I do think he's holding on to that all-star perch for dear life, especially the way he's played. Lately. But again, we, we can't waste too much time on this, but I still think James Harden, while the lows have been much, much lower this year and he has not played anywhere near his best, has still been an all-star caliber player. Sorry, I stopped listening after you said I made good points. <laughs> all right can we talk about gary trent or something um all right so west west replacement draymond announced actually on tnt last night that he's not going to play in the game Um, he did mention later which you know if we're talking non-all-star just season as a whole important stuff he doesn't think he'll need surgery that's big also didn't realize it might even come to that so maybe that's also concerning in its own right we can talk about that in another episode but he's going to need an injury replacement in the western conference wolf on who is your most likely incorrect choice to be that injury replacement. 
Uh, I mean, I had Ingram there before, although I will say like Ingram for me was also taking like the last front court spot in the West. So if it was going positionless, I think DeJounte has got a pretty strong case. And I also think given the way that AD has played since he's been back, I'd probably still go with Ingram here. But I think it's really close between all three of those guys. Like those are the only three that I really considered here. And I think AD is the one where we might look back at this at the end of the season and it will look kind of goofy that he wasn't the guy who got that last spot. But I'll still go with Ingram just out of reverence for the strides that he has made on both sides of the ball as a playmaker specifically uh, and as an off-ball defender. And just the fact that, like, I know it's no great shakes to be in the hunt for a playing spot in the West where I think the 10 seed is currently held by the Blazers who are, you know, being held together with scotch tape. They're 10 games under 500 and uh, they've been racked with injuries. Dame's not playing. So, you know, to be within spitting distance of that 10 seed is not some major accomplishment. But I do think given everything that the Pelicans have also dealt with, uh, and the way that Ingram has kept them afloat. Like, I- I'm fine rewarding him with that last spot. I think he's been really good. They've actually been, like, they have a positive scoring margin with him on the floor. Like, JV has a case too, but I do think Ingram's been the best player on that team. And so that's, you know, it's not like the the Spurs are setting the world on fire either, right? Like, you're basically picking either between a guy who's had uh, a pretty disappointing season for a, like a massively disappointing team compared to two guys on teams that you sort of expect it to be poor. Um, or like, you know, the Pelicans, I expected to be good, but once Zion, you know, if I knew Zion wasn't going to play a single game, I would have expected them to be poor. Um, two guys who essentially have been like the best players on teams that are scrapping and clawing just for like some measure of respectability. I'd be fine with picking uh, like any of those three guys basically for, for those reasons, but I'll go with Ingram. I would lean DeJounte. I don't think there's much to choose from between the two guys. I do think DeJounte's been a little better on the whole. I mean, it sounds crazy to say because Ingram doesn't have much help either, but I think Ingram actually has a little more help than DeJounte Murray has in San Antonio. I think there's been more times this season where DeJounte Murray's been the best player on the court. And I think that counts for something. But I will say to your point about AD, if if he now stays healthy, it probably will look goofy. And like, I, I didn't have Aiton in this conversation, but I've noticed a lot of, you know, whether it was on a TNT broadcast, which I know isn't saying much, or even, you know, in, in write-ups you can find everywhere about, like, uh, who could get the spot. I've noticed Aiton's name involved a lot, and nothing against him. You know, he's obviously a very fine player. I think the Suns should pay him this summer, as they should have last summer. But I don't know if anyone notices this. Like, Anthony Davis has played 300 more minutes than DeAndre Aiton this year. So... I wouldn't have eight in the mix, but I'm going to say if you are sitting there at home or if you're in basketball media, whatever the case may be, and you think Aiton's in the mix, well, then to me, it's a no-brainer that Anthony Davis should just have this spot. Because if 850 minutes or whatever Aiton has played is enough to get you in the mix, then the guy who's played 1,100 or so minutes and is clearly better than all of these guys, and even in a down year, is clearly outplaying all these guys, should just get the spot. Short of that argument, I'd lean to Jante. Yeah, Aiton wasn't really close for me to to being in this conversation. Um, but I, I don't. None of none of these guys would be in this mix have been so good that I would think that any pick would be super egregious. You know what I right. mean? Like I'm not gonna lose my mind about a Brandon Ingram snub. Right. Uh, it would be great to see him rewarded. It would be great to see Dejounte rewarded. Mm-hmm. Like 
you know, guys who, especially Murray, just because it would be his, his first time. And I think he's taken a, a significant leap this year. Like, I think that would be cool to see. Um, but again, like what, what are we quibbling over here? Like, you know, that's, that, that's also why I kind of wonder if, if, you know, we're almost overthinking it, not going with AD because again, as good as these guys have been, and I get, you know, they should be rewarded. It's also like now that AD is back and he's still obviously playing the way he's playing and, and as prolific as he is, I feel like for a guy to now take that spot with AD back, it's like that guy should be playing out of his mind and nothing against the season DeJounte or Brandon Ingram are having, both fine players. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure either one is having that kind of season where I can now pick them over Anthony Davis with AD back. I was going to ask right. you though, how close did you, like did Jaron Jackson come into the mix for you at all? Yeah, he was like, I would have had him probably ahead of Aiton if we're talking about guys who are on the fringes of this conversation. Like he would have been there. Valanchunas would have been there. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see because I think that LeBron might need an injury replacement as well. Like he has this knee issue that seems to be lingering and is supposedly going to keep him out for like a handful of further games i don't know if, man what, what, what's the benefit to him playing in the all-star no, game I given that- i don't think he will and i yeah. do think if lebron if they need two injury replacements and one of them is for lebron i think ad definitely gets in yeah agreed just because we had mentioned jaron jackson i we can't go the whole podcast without uh mentioning the quote of the season so far from john morant after the grizzlies notched yet another win and talked a lot of shit while doing it at madison square garden ruffled the feathers of Julius Randle and the Knicks. And after the game, Jaws quote was, we run up the chimney. We ain't ducking no smoke. Just because we had mentioned the Grizzlies, like I said, I, I, I couldn't not include that on this week's podcast. Also, I did want to shout out too. I don't know if you saw it last night. Joel Embiid randomly tweeted a picture of Charmin toilet paper and and said something about being soft. And everyone obviously assumed it's about Ben Simmons. I did too. I just want to say, Joel Embiid, the genius troll that he is, tweeted that everyone assumed it was about Ben Simmons. Was it, yeah, Shaq admitting on, I don't remember which show, that uh, Ben Simmons DM'd him last week after Shaq ripped him on national TV. So everyone assumes that's what Joel Embiid's talking about. And then Embiid, immediately after tweeting the Charmin toilet paper image, tweets like two or three follow-up tweets, and they're all randomly about Cameroon. Uh, losing in the African Cup of Nations in soccer. And I and a lot of other people just think he was expertly trolling through the Charmin thing out there. Everyone knows it's about Ben Simmons and then gave himself plausible deniability by following it up with three soccer tweets about how mad he was at Cameroon lost. So I, I did want to give a shout out to the the best troll in the NBA, Joel Embiid. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I thought maybe it was about Carl Towns being named uh, a Western Conference Reserve because... <laughs> We know those two guys have history. And I wouldn't put that past Bat- Embiid either. But again, love that he gave himself plausible deniability while randomly starting to talk about Cameroon after being like, I can't believe we lost. Missed this many. And for anyone that doesn't realize, uh, the match that he was talking about in the African Cup of Nations had ended like six or seven hours earlier when he started tweeting as if the game had just ended after throwing up the Charmin thing. So yeah. just a lot of hilarity all around. Typical Embiid. Okay. Yeah, like like great moments in uh, NBA tweeting plausible deniability history, along yeah. with uh, Eric Bledsoe saying that he was at the barber shop <laughs> when he said he didn't want to be here, and oh. Cousins when uh, they drafted Papa Papa Giannis, <laughs> and he and he tweeted, "Lord, give me the strength." <laughs> I think he said he was doing hot yoga at the time. 
Oh, man. Honestly, every damn week we are reminded that we cover the best league in the world, Wolf One. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, well, Fawn, we're going to have to pivot here because what we actually did today when we came back from break is a bit of a deadline preview show. While I was editing today's episode, the first big deadline-related trade went down, and that was the... Los Angeles Clippers trading Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, who was the 21st pick actually in this past draft, and a future second rounder to Portland for Norman Powell and Robert Covington. So two teams that we actually had talked about in what we thought was going to be a deadline preview episode, some players that we talked about in that episode being traded. And so we thought, you know what, we'll keep the first half of the pod where we talked about the all-star stuff and we will ditch all the work we did on the deadline preview and instead use part two to talk about a deal that has actually gone down since it is something tangible to talk about instead of what ifs. So let's talk about it. I think you might write about it for the app uh, later today. My initial thought is that while I'm not the biggest fan of like the contract norms on or, you know, some of the uh, defensive question marks that come with them, the decision-making, the fact of the matter is I did not think the Clippers had the trade chips necessary to even trade for a player like Norman Powell. So whatever, like he might not be a perfect player, but a few guys are. I'm calling this a clear win for the Clippers in that they were able to get a player of Norm's caliber who is under team control, you know, for the next few years. They don't have to worry about that to be part of the future. Also a California guy to be part of the future with Kawhi and PG, regardless of what happens this year. Now, getting Covington, I think, is interesting because it's like, maybe do they still plan on competing this year? Are those guys potentially coming back? I mean, are they going to now flip Covington for something? There is a lot to break down here. Give me your thoughts on what's gone down. Well, I'll just start with the Covington point, I guess, because that's where you left off. I think they get his bird rights. They'll probably try and re-sign him, I would think. I I, kind of like his fit there, especially because, you know... Everyone knows this about Robert Covington by now. Like, I feel like every time his name comes up, it needs to be mentioned that while he is a very good defender, his strength is not necessarily defending on the ball. He's a wonderful team defender and a guy who can actually give you like some solid secondary rim protection. In some cases, maybe even primary rim rim protection. Like we saw that for stretches when he was playing small ball five for that Rockets team. Like he played the five a lot and I thought he was actually, you know, for his size, quite good in that role. So I think that that makes him a really nice defensive fit because obviously with a healthy Kawhi and PG, he's not going to be like their primary on ball wing defender. They're going to be able to use him more in help defense. And I think that's actually just going to allow his skills to play up. So if they can bring him back, which I don't see why they wouldn't be able to do, having his bird rights is going to be super valuable because I'm pretty sure that the Clippers are a tax team. So I don't think they would have been able to sign him as like, like with a taxpayer MLE, right? Like I think 
maybe they would have. I don't know. But I think getting his bird rights just makes it that much more likely that they'll be able to have him next season. So I, I don't think that's necessarily just about this year uh, or, you know, doesn't signal anything to me about whether Kawhi and PG are coming back or not, uh, because I, I still think that could be a multi-year endeavor for them. Um, so I, I like that. And getting Norm, I mean, I, I really like Norm's fit with the healthy version of this team as well. I think the biggest thing for me is that guy just lives at the rim. And what has been like the biggest issue, like the the sort of biggest worrying sign about this Clippers offense for the last couple of years is that they don't apply a ton of pressure on the rim. Like they don't get downhill, very jump shot reliant. Norm's become like a really good foul drawer in recent years. He's getting to the line a whole lot. He shot a 40% from three now, I think in four straight seasons. And unquestionably has become one of the best and most dependable three-point shooters in the league. Like off the catch. <laughs> yes, as a catch and shoot guy. Not as yeah. a not as you a don't want to take him off the dribble. No. But, but catch again, and shoot threat, there are a few better in the league the last few years. Right. And again, like healthy version of this team, he's going to be working off of the ball. He's going to be attacking off of the catch. He's going to be shooting off of the catch. Uh, he can space it out for those guys. And he can give them that that sort of north-south juice that I feel like they really need. And so I just think they come out of this in in very good shape if you're thinking about you know what the fully formed version of this team is going to look like. And so long as Kawhi is Kawhi when he comes back, and, you know, same thing with PG, which you never know with something like that. I mean, PG dealing with a with a UCL injury to his shooting elbow is maybe a little concerning. And Kawhi, obviously, a torn ACL is not something that you just brush aside and expect for him to come back looking, you know, like the, the peak version of him. But as long as those two guys come back as something resembling their best selves, this is easily a championship contending team. And I think they like, they just got better. So what, you know, like what, what is the downside for them? Like they gave up on Keon Johnson, who like there, he's an intriguing prospect. Like I, I will be perfectly honest. I've watched very little of, of him in the NBA. Like I've maybe Same. watched two games that he's actually played in this season. Uh, he, he's a super athletic player who has good size for a two guard, but, Apart from that, like I, I can't say that any skill of his like popped for me, which doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good player. But th- they gave up very little here, and Can it's you- shocking how little they gave up actually to get two players who I think are really going to help them if they're both on the team next year. One hundred percent, and that's the way I look at it. Is like Keon Johnson might turn into a nice NBA player, but Keon Johnson is almost surely not going to be a good NBA player within the time frame of the Clippers trying to contend in the next exactly. couple of years. And from that perspective, a team that had very little to offer in terms of trade chips, asset capital, turned essentially, in terms of you're talking about like guys who are contributing right now, they turned Eric Bledsoe into Norman Powell and Robert Covington. That is a phenomenal move in the near term. And even if you want to include adding Keon Johnson and a, a future second rounder, go for it. Like, honestly, getting off Winslow, having to pay him $4 million next year anyway, all for that too. Like, just any way you look at it, whether you're talking short-term, long-term, whatever, for a team that was as all-in as all-in gets and could not really do anything else about it, I think the Clippers made off like bandits here. Even if you just want to talk in the short-term, like even just rewarding like this feisty team, I kind of like, you know? And, and look, maybe I'm wrong and maybe... Next week, they now end up moving some of their veteran guys on expiring deals and, and 
to get recoup some future capital and this year's team really doesn't go anywhere, that's fine too. But if Norm and Rocco actually help this team in the present, not necessarily contend for anything this year, but I, I do think there's something to be said for even rewarding this team because given the injuries and all that has happened to this team, the way Ty Lue's Clippers have bounced back and like been resilient and competed on a night-to-night basis, I think is really commendable. And so, yeah, if this helps them do that for the rest of the season, even if it ends up meaning they just like play a couple of playing games, I think that's fine because yeah, big picture here, they have added to a championship core without giving up barely anything when I did not think they were in a position to ever be able to do that, you know, in the next couple of years. So yeah, kudos to Lawrence, Frank, Jerry West, whoever the hell was behind this. Clippers did it again. Yeah, and it does really fit with their ethos of just building out this wing-heavy team where the parts are just pretty interchangeable, right? Like, you can stack together a front court. It's like a Rubik's Cube, basically, with all the forwards that they have and the way that they can build it out, whether they want to have a center on the floor or not. Like, they have all these small ball five options from, you know, Batum to Morris to Covington now. Um, and between those three guys and Kawhi and PG and Terrence Mann and Norm, it's like, <laughs> I mean, how do you want to build your lineup? You can do really any number of things and all those guys bring you a little something different. So it's a really interesting makeup. And I think there are downsides to that too, because I do, th- I-, I think they're still missing a playmaking element uh, in that, you know, like I-, I don't, you don't necessarily want, Kawhi and PG to be like the prime like Kawhi has actually become a very good playmaker but still there is a reason that people have sort of lobbied for this team to get a primary facilitator for the last couple of years right like the ball can get sticky there's just like not a ton of passing and it's like a bunch of secondary creators with no like primary creator or not creator because all these guys can create for themselves but like a facilitator is probably the better word so I think that is still kind of a need for this team, but given what they had to work with, to your point, like it's a home run. And I think in lieu of the sort of passing juice and like the primary facilitating, they just, they can cobble together enough secondary playmaking that they can make it work regardless. I mean, offense has never really been an issue for this team anyway. So I think adding a guy in norm who gives them, you know, a little bit of a different dynamic uh, in terms of his dribble penetration and attacking off of the catch, and then the defensive versatility of somebody like Covington. It's a move that almost doubles down on the team's identity while still making them better. Imagine a new season was starting right now. Kawhi and PG are healthy with this new look Clippers team. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the West is healthy, you know, an average amount of health. Are the Clippers your pick to win the West? So sorry, Ka- Kawhi and PG are just like the, the healthy versions of them that we yeah. last saw playing, basically. Whatever a reasonable expectation would be for them in their first full season back after those injuries, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a different, that's a much different like context, I think, you know? Like that's, what what is a reasonable expectation for what they'll look like when they come back? I mean, I think, I think a reasonable expectation is that they're both still start like, but I'm like, so yeah, are they like, eight, are they like 85% of what we last saw? Because, you know, PG started this season like a house of fire. And then by the time he got put on the shelf was bricking everything. Honestly, like he really wasn't shooting the ball well toward, uh, toward the end of his healthy window this season. And then, you know, you couple that with, with Kawhi and the knee and he has a history of, lower body injuries now and like i mean potential 
nerve damage in that is it the quad or the calf i can't even remember the the, the, i think that's an interesting question like what what is a reasonable expectation for what those guys will be when they come back all right if those guys are 85 percent of their peak forms mm-hmm. with this new look clippers team yeah and the rest of the west same thing it's just you assume you know average health right w- would the clippers be your pick I don't think so. Like, they are definitely close. I mean, it's just like, out of reverence for what the Suns have done, I just feel like I can't no, I, I can't you. give this Clippers team the edge just given the uncertainty of those guys coming back from injury. But it's like, I would have them in the same tier, right? Like, yeah. I would have them in the top tier in the West, which is my way of saying I wouldn't necessarily make them my favorite to come out of the conference, but, like, they're very much at or just below the level of like the team that I would designate as the favorite, which I guess it would be Phoenix right now. I mean, Golden State's looking pretty formidable as well, but they're in that conversation and that's really all that matters, right? It doesn't matter if they're a prohibitive favorite. I I think the tiering is what's most important and they would be in that top tier where, yeah, any which way that it went, I wouldn't be surprised. From the Blazers angle, I do wonder... Do they now turn around and flip Bledsoe? Well, the, I think what they probably like about Bledsoe is that he has this small guarantee for next year, right? I think it's um yeah, it's like non, three three point nine million. Yeah, it's a it's a non fully guaranteed deal next year. So I think they were just taking back what f- will will function for them as like an expiring contract. Maybe they can offload him because there might be a team out there that that's decides what I'm saying. I that, that Bledsoe, the Bledsoe can help them him. this year. Yeah, if they now flip him for something else at the deadline. Um, when you look at the sequence of transactions right now for the Blazers, they turned Gary Trent into the expiring Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, who I don't think has much. Dude, they Gary Trent and two first-round picks, because that's what it cost him to get Covington. Right. So wow. Gary so Trent you, and two first-rounders so, for Eric yeah. Bledsoe, Keon, who, you know, Keon Johnson, a first-rounder from this past draft, so maybe you can count that as them recouping one of the first, of but firsts, still. But even if you take, so take Keon Johnson and one of those firsts out of the equation then, and you could still look at it as like Gary Trent and a first for Eric Bledsoe's expiring contract and Justice Winslow's cheap contract, which I don't even think a lot of teams would sign up to pay him $4 million next year. That is a shambolic sequence of events for a team that could not have afforded it. Yeah, I don't... <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe we'll like reserve judgment to see if they have any subsequent moves coming. Like this does make them more fiscally flexible. It'll get them, you know, well under the tax, I suppose. And they can, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe there's a CJ move coming. Maybe they're, I don't That wouldn't even make sense though. Like they're, if they're trying to like open up cap space for this coming summer, because who's going to be a free agent that's going to sign in Portland? Like the, the free agents this coming summer, the only ones that really matter are like, you know, Beal, Harden, Kyrie, Zach Levine, I guess. Like who are, are any of those guys signing in Portland? Maybe they'll throw no. a big offer sheet at Miles Bridges, but I would imagine the Hornets would just match it. Like, yeah, I don't really see that as the avenue here. So it's, I guess, just about saving money for this season and and the, you know, the four future years on norm's deal they wanted to get off that contract i mean that's all it really seems to be for them they might really like keon johnson i mean i guess that could be part of this i'm struggling to see the logic on their end um but we'll have to see how it plays out but yeah i mean no doubter for the clippers they got better today and are in an even better position going forward once they get their big two back 
any any other thoughts you have on this deal or well i'm just waiting for you to take yet another victory lap on the gary trent norm powell trade so listen yeah man did it last week i'll do it again this week i mean last week my victory lap was more so just about from the raptor side how much of a no-brainer it was and and i was convinced that at the time because of Trent's upside, the youth versus Norm, the fact that I thought he would be more worth his next contract than Norm was on his next contract. All that remains true. But at the time, I was super low on it. From the Blazers' perspective, too, I wish I had time right now to try to pull up my old tweets from that deadline day because I did go off on just like how nonsensical this was to me for Portland. And it is doubly so a year later, given the sequence of events. So, yes, thank you for that opportunity to take my second victory lap on my Trent Powell trade take a year later. I guess I'm curious now to see what, like, what do they do with Nurkic, who's a, a, a expiring and could potentially bring them back. I mean, based on this return, like, it seems like Nurkic could be had for a bag of beans, but uh, maybe because contrary to Covington, they actually do anticipate trying to bring Nurkic back and... It seems to me like the plan is they're going to tank the rest of this season, which makes sense for them because they owe a lottery-protected pick to the Bulls. So I imagine they want to keep their pick this year. So tank the rest of this season and then rebound and still be competitive next year, which may involve them re-signing Nurkic in the offseason. So maybe he doesn't get moved or he only gets moved if a team is putting a first-rounder on the table. But this says to me that like the Blazers are pretty much open for business like this is the blazers shuffling the deck chairs on the titanic while also actively poking more holes in the ship <laughs> hey i mean it's gonna sink anyway you might as well get on with it right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> expedite the process apparently portland's entire mo right now. anyway yeah that's all i got like i it's it's definitely a head scratcher for their from their perspective but I mean, depending on how the rest of the deadline goes for them or like how the off season goes, we we could be rewriting this story. It's hard to say right now, but definitely this, it just seems to me like they could have done better if, you know, maybe they had done two separate trades. It just seems like Covington on his own would have been worth, they got a, a 2025 second rounder via Detroit, which could prove to be like a pretty, I mean, it's the Pistons, right? Like that could be a pretty decent second round pick. That would have been, uh, I, I think, a rational return for Covington on his own. But then you're looking at the rest of the return for Norm, and they are like more or less, again, unless they really like Keon Johnson, like more or less just treating it as a salary dump. And I feel like if they if they'd separated that, like if they'd done two separate trades, they could have gotten a better overall haul. Seems to me, but maybe that's my take on it too. But maybe they they just really wanted that one guy, and this was the only way they could get him. Like maybe they just really, really wanted Keon Johnson. I don't know. Well, for their sake, I hope they're right about Keon Johnson because or else, woof. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think with that, we, we can move on to our fan shout out of the week and we can hold a lot of the things we talked about on our deadline day preview pod, which will not air today for next week, maybe for Tuesday's episode, barring any other trades going down between now and then i think we can use tuesday as our kind of deadline day preview and, and give our thoughts on all that and then obviously later next week our second part of next week will just be our deadline day mega show so until then let's get to this week's fan shout out this one goes out to alex in halifax nova scotia 
Alexander underscore Webby on Instagram. Uh, hit me up via IGDM. Said he's a big fan of the show. He's almost listened to every episode now. He's been listening for about two years, and he's even gone back through uh, the old TriCast episodes as well when it was three of us to listen to ones that he had missed. Listens to us every week. We're his favorite NBA podcast. He likes that we take different stances. And his favorite episodes have been the back and forths we've had on things like the 2020 Miami Heat, <clears throat> who made the finals. Uh, frauds. <laughs> Bubble frauds. And the hot take battle you guys had a few months ago about Poku. That one I will definitely take the L on, unlike the Heat one. Uh, so Alex, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for supporting the show. We're glad that you enjoy us enough that you went back and listened to old outdated episodes. Uh, usual call out for anyone like Alex out there who is a loyal Pound the Rock listener. Whether this is your first time listening or your 223rd, hit us up on Twitter at Joseph Casharo at Joey underscore double U Y O U email Joe.wolfon at the score.com Joseph.casharo at the score.com Instagram. Find me Joe underscore 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 cash and let us know how long you've been listening, where you're listening from, what you like about the show, maybe what you don't. We will get you a shout out on a future episode until one of those future episodes for Joe Wolfon. I'm Joseph Casharo. Pound the rock.